Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. On the show today, it's a Christmas special or just a winter special if you don't celebrate. Uh, either way, we're back uh, one last time in 2022 and it feels like it's been a while. I even had to remind myself of Keith's last name. Uh, anyway, on the show today, the latest uh, off-season happenings, our very own Crash Podcast Awards, your final questions of 2022 answered and what we want to see for 2023. The recording date is Tuesday, 20. 20th of December. My name is Harry Benjamin. Joining me as ever is Crash's MotoGP editor, Pete McLaren, and former Grand Prix rider and British champion, Keith Hewin. Uh, but before anything, uh, we want to do a, a little poll, a bit of audience feedback, actually. I've been instructed to do this by the higher-ups. Um, now, we've had a great year. Uh, thank you so much. That's all down to you guys who listen and watch us. Um, now, would you be interested? Let us know in the comments or tweet us. If we were to do a live show, would you be interested in coming along? Would you be interested? How would you want it to sound? Would you want to be there in person? Would you like to have a ticket for it? We would like some feedback on that. Um, so let us know. A live show, it's in the mumblings in the background. Nothing confirmed, but uh, I think we'd all be up for it. Would you guys want to do a live show? Yeah, thumbs up all round. Okay, uh, and the other one is... Now, we're called the Crash MotoGP podcast. Um, should we actually have a name? <laughs> is, 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 or is it a bit late? Uh, should we have a name or keep it as the Crash MotoGP podcast? So 2023 idea, let us know. Uh, something fun. I'd name suggestions and we'll see if, if it's worth doing. Um, now, okay, that's the admin out of the way. Uh, let's get on. Uh, we've got lots of things to talk about. There's been actually quite a lot of news over the last month or so. It's hard to keep up. Um, but the first thing I wanted to come on to, and Pete, maybe it's worth just coming to you on this first, because uh, you've spoken about it a lot, these uh, accident systems that are, are being put in place and, and safety procedures. And we do have this new accident detection and rider warning system, uh, which should be coming into place for 2023. It's now been explained as to exactly how it will work. Can you tell us how it will work? Yeah, so I... I got hold of Corrado Cecchinelli, the MotoGP director of technology to just sort of, we've spoken about it a lot on this show, haven't we, of what, how it might work and what the ideas might be. And so I, I spoke to Corrado who's, you know, sort of oversees all these kind of technical side things from the books for Dorna. He oversees all of that. Um, so yeah, he gave a rundown. He put the, the pieces together, let's say. And uh, yeah, so it, the basics of the system are you've got a bit like an airbag, you've got these these sensors, the, the, the software, if you like, the hardware that will detect, oh, a rider's falling over. 
Um, it then sends a signal back. I think they're going to use the timekeeping system. That actually involves quite a big change to timekeeping because previously they just had to go over a timing loop every, you know, you know, every so often around the lap. This obviously has to be continuous, real-time data going back and forth because then the, the information can, then comes back and they get it triggers off a warning. Now, um, Keith was quite good on this. He was speaking about all of the potential things that you could warn a rider, all the different ways that you might choose to do it. And Corrado is really keen on some of these sort of quite futuristic possibilities of, you know, heads up displays, noises in the in the ear, you know, everything. But to start with, it will just be this flashing rain light, which we've seen tested already. But that's that's sort of the first step. And he said, made very clear, that's the first stage. So that will be you know, get the system up and running, show that it works. So that will be, the, the flashing rear light will be on the fallen rider's bike and also the other bikes in what they call the danger zone. So that means near the scene of an accident. Now, to start with, because it won't be too refined, you'll get a lot of warnings on a lot of bikes that maybe are not needed. You know, the guy who fell off might be in the gravel trap, you know, nowhere near the racetrack. So it, it'll be overly safe, if you like, but obviously that's that's preferable to it being the other way so that's how it will start and then really the exciting bit is where will they go from this in terms of the the future warnings and the ways that they can sort of prevent uh you know incidents of riders on the floor being hit my worry is always the case motorbike racers don't take much notice of yellow flags and waves things and lights and all the rest of it um so we are into a new penalty regime coming this way as well once we get this up and running because you know what if a rider takes advantage in that situation, doesn't roll it off in a, in a you know, he's going to gain a second or two, which is gold nowadays in racing motorbikes because it's so close. So we're into an area really that I'm pleased that Dorna are going softly, softly with this. And I think it's the, you know, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing the, the, the system because it sounds like it's going to be brilliant. Um, but it's how they manage that that's going to be the, 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 the detail, how they manage a rider that's taken advantage, you know, what is deemed to be an advantage. Did he roll it off early enough? Was he a little bit late off the throttle? You know, like there's going to be things like that that are going to come in and it's going to be protests all over the bloody place. It's going to be very difficult to manage, but, you know, safety is paramount. And if Dorna have gone this far technically, then you can be fairly sure that it is going to fully launch during the course of the year. Well, if they've got to be, you know, if people are going to take advantage of this, do you think penalties are just going to be more harsh more strict we're already talking about uh cancelled laps for next year you know and having having more penalties and and more strictness in place on those things it, will they just you know if they break the rules they'll just be punished for it and that will hopefully deter them it's how they manage it that's going to be my worry how do you manage in an area that you don't have um line under the under the road for instance you know who gained right. how much space a yard two yards maybe nothing you know, it's, it's going to be, you can't really do it visually from cameras and CCTV, I wouldn't have said. I know that we had that with the, the, the green paintwork and then they, they obviously put sensors in the green paintwork. So if you ran off the track, that, that automatically triggered things. But I don't know, I'm, I'm waiting to see the, 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 the next draft of, um, of detail because it, it kind of concerns me very slightly that, that riders will try and take advantage. How many times have we had Moto3 riders penalised? How many times have we had Moto3 riders taking advantage in qualifying, hanging around, dawdling. You can't beat it into them. You know, if you cut a finger off every time they did it, they'd still do it with, with no fingers on a wrist. So it's kind of, it's 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 very difficult. And I appreciate this from, from a rider perspective when your mind is absolutely tuned into that thousands of a second. I, I don't think anybody doesn't race a car or a motorbike or anything like that where time counts absolutely. Just how 
you are in the zone. Um, it will be interesting to see whether a flashing red light on the back of the bike slows you up at all. We'll see. Good idea, I, but I still want to see the detail. I suspect it'll be linked in with the yellow flags. So if you you know like you can't pass under wave yellow flags now, where you get penalised, and and obviously in qualifying your lap time gets cancelled, doesn't it? If you go through a yellow flag sector, you're losing your lap anyway. So I think in that sense it, it'll be. But in a race, of course, let, there'll let be me, a chance let, to gain gain ground as long as you don't overtake. You exactly. could certainly gain ground in a race situation. Exactly that. That's the bit that concerns me slightly in that that you can you can make a couple of yards that you wouldn't be able to make any other way. So we'll see. But I know Dorna are across it. I mean, Corrado does a bloody good job. I mean, they, they really are. You know, everybody bleats and shouts and screams, you know, about the injuries that we're getting. Because the racing is so good, we are getting more injuries. You know, that isn't a good thing. You know, everybody wants to see really, really close racing. Everybody wants to see everybody bloody passing and banging bearings and God knows what. But of course, as soon as you do that across a field of 30 bikes, you, you're into a into a danger zone. There's no doubt about it. So whatever you can do to try and minimise that is, is going to be a, a plus point. Yeah, well, we'll see how that is, as you say, all crucially uh, managed. Uh, but it's good to see that being implemented for 2023. And also crucially, that something that can be applicable at all levels, all the way to, to Talent Cup is, is quite important. I think that uh, they've introduced that for. Um, I mentioned there about the uh, cancellation of laps um, for breaching MotoGP tyre pressures. Uh, tyre pressures was a big talking point uh, this year. Uh, and that has now been confirmed that any offending riders will be stripped of their fast laps in 2023. So uh, they're, they're going to be hot on it next year. Well, they didn't have unified software. The big problem was that everybody was running a different software for measuring stuff. And, and we had an advisory sheet. If you remember, Matt Oxley put it out there and called an almighty stink because somebody gave him a, a sheet. of the, you know, It was an advisory thing. Everybody filled it in uh, judiciously or whatever the word is I'm looking for. But uh, um, and, and basically, you suddenly saw that some of the riders were under the, the, the minimum pressure. But now there is a, a unified across the board software situation can't be cheated can't be messed around with if you are under the pressure for a certain amount of time in a race you know you're in big trouble yeah that that's the difficulty isn't it with tire pressures it's not like if you're underweight you know it's easy isn't it you put the bike on the scales you're underweight that's it you're penalized with tire pressure because it goes up and down so often it's really difficult so now it's super accurate to measure but at the same time they've got to put this sort of tolerance in place of a certain number of laps because otherwise you could just you could be a guy in the lead and suddenly you're disqualified because your team expected you to be behind eight riders and have your t your tire temperature much higher so that's the point it's, to a make really, it's, it's a difficult one to balance isn't it yeah but i mean if you're going to do it and yeah. if you qualify badly and you're in mid-pack then the chances are you'll run a softer tire pressure because you are in the heat of the guys in front of you if you're out front in fresh air then your tire pressure becomes more stable and where you've set it so techs and the like will will adjust their tire pressure depending on where they think you're going to be so if you suddenly come up with a with a suzuki and rins and clear off in the distance and you've set the tire pressure to where you think you might have finished um and of course what happens is if you, just to explain about tire pressures and the difference it makes from a, a motorbike racing feel you know if that tire pressure goes up you know above the minimum the tire starts to balloon it doesn't squidge into the track so the hotter it gets, obviously, the more it expands and therefore you get a less contact patch. So you're looking to try and run it as soft as you can run it. So the thing squidges into the deck and gives you that 
corner entry that you want. Mostly the front tyre, obviously, is the critical one for, for motorbike races. Um, particularly now that you're approaching the corners at such a rate of knots with ride height adjusters, I'm sure we'll get there in a minute. But, you know, you, you, you're getting out of corners so quick, so you're pulling more mile an hour down the straight. You are getting into a corner much faster than you ever have done. And the aero has affected the fact that we didn't have as much passing as we've had in previous times as well. So there's a lot going on on a motorbike nowadays. It is not racing a motorbike like it was. Do you think next year is going to be better in terms of racing? Because 2021, right, was was awesome. You know, I think we all said that the racing was was brilliant. There were so many overtakes. In 2022, I think we can all agree that was less so. But there were still a few standout races. What What's being done? What do you think can be done for 2023 to try and recapture what we had in 21? Well, we're losing the ride eye adjuster at the front, aren't we? That's going. Um, you know, for me, I don't know why they're bothering to still have the back one on there either. I mean, this is not something mm. that's going to transfer to road bikes. I don't really understand that. Technology moving across the, the road machinery, I suppose we can understand to extent. Although we're in a prototype situation, you know, does a Formula One car represent a road car? No, it bloody don't. So does a MotoGP bike re- represent a, a road bike? No, it doesn't. Um, so we're in a situation where I, I, I don't like rules against technology. I, I find it difficult. And... This is going to be critical. Sorry, Mike Trimby. Sorry, Danny Aldridge. Um, but, you know, these things should have been seen before they came. You know, you need a bigger technical department that is across what's happening behind the scenes. And as soon as Ducati, we'll use them because they're the you know innovators of a spaceship. Um, as soon as they come to Danny Aldridge and say, well, we're looking at doing this. You know, I think he should have turned around and said, no, you're not. You know, I always remember the comment when seamless gearboxes came. You know, they said, seamless gearboxes, we wouldn't have had them if, if we'd had our way because the cost involved in everybody catching up with seamless gearboxes was massive. But seamless gearboxes, now I can understand where that is a, a, a proper road use. Sorry to keep harping on about road bikes and the like, but a seamless gearbox is a beautiful piece of, you know, it's like a timepiece. It's a fantastic thing. Um, so fantastic that you will never, ever see it. You know, like I've been trying to look at one. And I've been trying to get in the garage and look at one for ages. I remember asking Cal Crusso, come on, sneak me in. He said, I've never seen it. You know, it's 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 one of those situations where they are so technically innovative that um, you just don't get to see them. There's one man that, that, you know, Mark Lloyd, pup, he um, he was a gearbox man for Repsol when he went across to KTM. You know, his knowledge would have been bloody huge, you know, and very, very powerful knowledge that he had. And uh, you have to buy those people to, to, to move it across and make it work. But you're getting better at what you said. Will it be better racing next year? Do you know, I feel like we're going to have a transition year next year, you know, with the innovation regarding the crash situation and losing the, you know, when we, it's all very well losing a piece of innov- a piece of technology like the ride high adjuster at the front. But that's going to throw the whole balance of the bike out. It's going to throw the whole setup of the bike out. It's going to throw all their data is going to be different now. Um, it's like when Cotteraro went back to the standard aero and he, and he didn't and it was he went backwards because they've moved all the settings on to suit the new aero you know once you've moved everything on technically to go back is actually quite hard as hard as it is to find a way forward sometimes so um it will be an interesting year next year but as soon as you take a big chunk like that out of the bike um it's going to make a big difference yeah i, I don't I think for Fabio and the guys at the factory Ducati team, they were lucky, weren't they? Because they kind of left the front ride height development side to the Pramac guys. So it was Zarco and, and Jorge Martin who, who were running this during testing and I think the early part of the season. 
whereas they were kind of like, you know what, guys, you tell us when it's working perfectly and then we'll put it on our bike. And then, of course, it gets banned halfway through the year. So those guys spent all that, that sort of time sacrificing valuable laps in Grand Prix weekends, you might say, to try and get this front system working. I think mean, Martin complained quite a lot of not having the same feeling with the front in general. That seemed to be where he found his form later in the year with some sort of suspension change there. But yeah, so they, they spent time on it. And I don't know if the other manufacturers did. I don't know. But certainly, uh, yeah, the Pramac guys at the Spang test onwards, they were they were testing it, weren't they? The front ride height system. And yeah, I think in the end, they just, well, obviously, once they realized it wasn't going to be around for next year, there was no point pursuing it, really. And so, uh, I, yeah, uh, will it change? Other than that, I don't think there's much changing. I, th- I think t- in terms of the technical rules, that there is no there's no real big shakeup for next year um you know everything is kind of we said this all the time don't we but the rules are made by the manufacturers they all agree stuff and then it's up to to uh, the fim side to police it so this is why with the tire pressures you know i said to carada well why don't you just stick a tire gauge in it and he said yeah that's what i'd love to do but it's not what the manufacturers would agree to so he said some of them would, but not all of them. And you need all of them to agree. So that's why they're, they're in this situation with the complicated real-time tyre pressure thing, because you need the manufacturers to agree. So I think on all the, on the technical side, we have to sort of remember that it's up to the manufacturers to really get this sorted out. And it's sometimes those guys that miss the loopholes as much as uh, those policing it, shall we say. I, th- I still think that um, that unanimous decision on bits and pieces is, is, is not correct because Ducati have been penalised for the amount of money and technology they put into it. Can you imagine saying to Ferrari, I like you as a car man, I can always bounce off you for that, Harry. Can you imagine being Ferrari being told that they can't run that wing, having developed it for the last bloody six months in the, in the tunnel and spent God knows how many millions of pounds on it or whatever it would be. You know, I, I think, again, technology is something, I think that Erta, Danny Aldridge, should be part of the manufacturers. He should have a right of veto, is my mm. view. I think that, that you know it's all very well the manufacturers clubbing together to ban Ducati's ride height adjustment. Um, I kind of find that not not quite as edifying. I think as if we we had a, a technical director that was part of that group. I mean, it would be huge pressure. I mean, Danny would be under so much pressure in that situation because he'd be lobbied behind the vans, lobbied in the toilets, lobbied in bloody everywhere he goes. You know, and that's my argument is, is that they're a very small team, technically, very small team. They lost Gary McLaren, you know, on Moto3 and Moto2 when Gary was killed in Thailand uh, two or three years ago. Um, uh, they obviously caught up again, technical wise, but you can't beat that kind of experience, that kind of person that's embedded and can see stuff coming. Um, should the manufacturers have, a, have that gold card to do whatever they want to do? Probably because they know best. But I still think there should be a, a right of veto from our technical department in IGP. Mm. I, I think they will. They are looking to get this rear ride height system removed within the next few years. I think it is a matter of the time frame on it. I think, as, as Keith explained, this isn't something they expected to happen. It's happened. They know that you can't just suddenly whip the carpet away from a manufacturer that spent a lot of time, money and effort developing something. And everyone's got it now. So, you know, I, th- I think... They're normally five-year sort of cycles, aren't they? The rules they fit in with the contracts with everything. We spoke a lot about the five-year contracts with Suzuki, didn't we? So I think the next uh, the next five-year cycle, which is I think twenty-seven or something or twenty-six, 
that'll be quite a big change for the technical rules. I think that's that's where we'll see quite a big shakeup. But until then, it's really just fine tuning things because they don't want to. The last thing manufacturers like is a big shock in terms of the technical rules, isn't it? Especially in this, these these sort of times of of budget constraints and everything else. They like to know where they stand and what they're going to spend money on. Getting back to what you said, Harry, right at the beginning of this, um, it, where it's going to be interesting next year, um, going back to the original question, is whether KTM and Aprilia can keep momentum going technically mm. throughout next year. KTM lost their, well, I didn't lose their way because they were all within a, you know, everyone's within a second now of the 24 bikes on the grid, so that ain't bad. But the point being is is that KTM have fallen back a little bit last year. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking to see what they're going to be doing for next year. It'll be very interesting to see where they're going to pick up the pace. And I suppose Aprilia tailed off, didn't they, towards the end of this season? So uh, hoping that they can sort of get their heads together a little bit more. And now that they're maybe a year used to suddenly being up at the front, uh, can carry that forward and recapture what they had towards the mid-season. Because you mentioned the Ferrari thing, I did just want to bounce off of that because I think it would be good to get Danny. Because we had Danny Aldridge on the show already, didn't we, last year? Was it this year? I can't remember now. So maybe we should get him back in the new year just to preview things with us uh, before Danny. we get stuck in. Danny's a really good guy. I mean, I, you know, Danny Aldridge, son of Colin Aldridge, who was a, a sponsor in British bikes for years and years and years, some Grand Prix bikes as well, if I remember rightly, with Colin. Colin sadly died when he was 55 of cancer. Um, great guy. And as is usually the thing, he's fairly well embedded. He was best mates of Mike Trimby's. <laughs> they were golfing partners. <laughs> you know a bit about of golf. Of course. Now, um, oh, I love a bit of golf. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's... Our, our paddock is embedded. You know, everybody is, is part of it. We're all, we're all in there. I mean, Pete, it's quite funny. I, I, as you might guess from a T-shirt and the fact it's dark outside, I'm not in the UK at the moment. Um, and I met up with a mate of mine. And uh, he'd never, he's a car man, and he'd never done the media scrums. And I always get him something so he can get into media centre and the like. And, and he was just amazed at how the access where everybody does a media scrum, everybody's around the riders. And he said, I just went there with my notepad and wrote things down. <laughs> I hope we don't lose that. Motorbike racing is so accessible. Um, but the point being is that it's going to be a tricky year next year because, like Pete's already said, there aren't that many innovations you can make. You've got to make good what you've got. And it's who finds those tiny, tiny little nuances of performance after they've spent all winter pouring over data and bloody... I mean, it would send you insane, mm. wouldn't it? amount of computer time you'd have trying to work all these little things out and then you get a second opinion and a third opinion or something to come in and take a look at what's going on it's wonderful but it also is very boring very boring well i suppose for it, it, the idea of sort of trying to get the technical side more um in, in dredged with the teams of the manufacturers building I, I take a formula one example because you mentioned ferrari i think at the start of this year the mercedes team came with this brand new concept they didn't have any side pods it was the no side pod concept and everyone was like oh god blah, blah. and ross braun and, and the like and the technical team were like well we didn't we had a we had a plan of what the new cars would look like but we didn't think they looked like this and they're the ones that wrote the bloody rules and so i think we're gonna have to go and uh, and do a bit, a bit more research because we think it might be a loophole but we're not sure so we're gonna go and find out if that's allowed or not so sometimes it's sort of there is a disparity and even the technical team don't really know if something is is allowed or not so i feel like you're always going to get that kind yeah. of disparity yeah. in whatever motorsport it's where Gigi delinia and you know the ex aprilia man now ducati top guy you know where he works it all out i mean mm. you talk about um formula one my favorite was the f hole 
<laughs> well, you put your glove over the hole in, in, in the bodywork so that the aero works differently. Do you remember that? No. F hole, F ducks, the F ducks. Was that what it was? No, there was a, there was a, there was a thing where you put your hand over it and it, it changed because it was a manually operated aero thing. It meant that you could do it. I think was it McLaren. I can't remember who had it, but um, somebody. Yeah, well, that, that's what became DRS, wasn't it? Yeah, effect, yes, effectively it was, Pete. You're absolutely right. Bloody hell, Pete and Formula One knowledge. We're, ooh, ooh, we're, here we go, here we go. Let's, <laughs> no, no, let's not go down, let's not go down the four-wheeled route. Um, but it, 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 is, F-hole, but it, was, it was named after there was, there was a letter in the, in the, in the sponsorship that, you, that had the hole in it. That you put in. Interesting. Uh, okay, I think I, think I know what I mean. Help. Well, I also, I'm too young, but I also look at something like uh, there was the, the Mercedes had this DAS system where you pulled the steering wheel back and suddenly the front two wheels kind of inverted and it helped with uh, aero and tyre degradation. Amazing design, amazing technical thing. Of course, not allowed, illegal, get rid of it for next year. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and you think you imagine, of these pinnacle sports. The money. You talk about what Ducati oh. have spent. You amount the amount of money to get spent on technical innovation that gets ruled out in the end. I mean, the, the bloody scoop that... that you, <laughs> Yamaha had that rear spoon, that scoop, for God knows how long. But, but it was supposed to be there to, to move the rain out of the way of the rear tyre, wasn't it, to keep it off. But Ducati worked that out a little bit better than that, and it became aero for Ducati. So suddenly Yamaha get the ump because their one only works for sort of rain purposes, whereas Ducati have now modified it so it's an aero piece. They said tyre cooling, I remember. Said it was a tyre cooling, it was a safety thing, but it was aero at the end of the day. I love all that. Well, I love all that. It's prototype racing, and it should be like that. It should be like pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I think there's we, definitely uh... a pattern, isn't there, between those innovations you were saying there, where you take something that's banned in terms of being automatic, like a ride height system, like the wheels, and you make it rider-operated. And so that's the loophole, is if you can get the rider to do it, as Keith said, even if it's a hand with a glove blocking something, if the human is doing it, it's hard to to rule that out within with, with within the written rules, let's say. And so that's that's, that's definitely an area where in four wheels, two wheels, they look for the loopholes is, okay, that's banned if we do it automatically, but can we do it manually? So it then becomes rider operated, like the ride height system is. That's why it's, they're able to do it. They couldn't have an automatic version because the rider operates it, it's fine. They even banned we'll one-handed riding. They even banned one-handed riding. You're on the throttle as fast as you can and you grip, grip the fork leg, the other one, take your hand off the handlebar, to give you better aero. That's not yeah. Aero. <laughs> oh wow! You see, you see flat They're trackers. You, you watch flat trackers in America. They're all on. You know, like them guys are mad anyway. But it's absolutely <laughs> on the stop and one hand on the fork leg. You're not on the handlebar. You're trying to get as tucked in as you can and get the thing sliding hundred and hundred plus mile an hour sideways on the dirt with a barrier about from me to the screen. And um, and of course, a lot of people took that on in road racing. Um, but it was immediately ruled against do not take your hand off the handlebar sir <laughs> never take your hand off the handlebar um you talk of yamaha there i think we'll get danny aldridge on next year and we'll have a big old chinwag in january and february in the early shows but uh talk of yamaha there um but 2023 is g- going to be a big year i think or needs to be a big year for yamaha a lot of things going on with them it seems like p- the post season testing wasn't the most positive that they wanted yeah. certainly from the engine side of things that fabio wanted but also now talk of you know they want they they've lost their satellite team and and now they want another one and and rossi is weighed in and given his thoughts japanese manufacturers are, are still very much in trouble it seems well i would say that they are i mean like the, the global situation is not you know, conducive visit at the moment. But I mean, Yamaha, they lost performance at the test. They seemed to have it prior 
but all of a sudden it disappeared when they were I know Valencia I mean I never think Valencia is a great test track to be honest with you but there you go um we'll wait and see when we get to some of the faster tracks but um yeah I mean what happened I think Yamaha are at sea I mean I think you know Quattararo was quite what's the word extrovert over you know what had happened he was not happy in Valencia you know you imagine your expectations you've just done what you've done finished as best you can and the bike isn't isn't performing it isn't going forwards um Yamaha really have got to sort themselves out and of course as soon as you start pushing early season you know if you've got something that's slightly different that's made of different materials or whatever it is by the time we get to the first round next year which is a different round than normal but um, that's it. You run what you run from that moment onwards if you've not got concessions and Yamaha don't have. So the fact is, is that they are stuffed effectively. If they've not got the performance when we get to Sepang and the like, they're done. Big surprise, wasn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, even Cal right the way through the Valencia weekend because he tested that engine at, at Jerez privately he, the week before. And, and the one thing everyone said about it was it had more power. You know, Cal's concern was that they're always, they as in the Grand Prix, the full-time riders, Potterar and Mobdelli, are always testing after a race weekend when the track is in great shape, loads of grip. And so he was a bit concerned about that. Obviously, when Cal's testing, it's often on a, a low grip track, which is where the Yamaha struggles. And he thinks that's a bit more representative. But the one thing everyone seemed to agree on was it had loads more power. Just as Quattararo said at Mizano, turns out they tried this engine after the, the Barcelona test. They kept it quiet. That was the first version. They were happy with it then. Suddenly... They don't know why. It, they had no more power. So, yeah, lots of head scratching. The one thing was that that they were sure that there must be something. There's some reason. There's something there that they Software can fix. Glitch. Obviously, this is a trouble with a one-day test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You'd hope so. Yeah, this is would. the trouble with having a one-day test, isn't it? You know, we said it could have been bad weather and it might rule it out. And You know, you've got one day. And if you have a bit of a hiccup that takes a bit more time to solve, that's it. And, yeah, and the least, testing is done until we at Sepang. At least they've got time now to get through the winter and have a look for that hiccup. Whereas if it had rained at Valencia, they'd get to Valencia <laughs> and have no power. That really would be um, to the wire. <laughs> so Yamaha, I mean, it's glass half full for me. You know, at least they know that they've got a problem so they can deal with it over the winter until we get to Sepang. Let's hope they manage to do it because we need yeah. Yamaha. And Sepang is the big one, isn't it? I mean, that, that's where you need your final version of your engine, really. It's, it's okay, there's another test afterwards. But the reality is the engine you have at Sepang you can tune it a little bit, but you're not going to redesign it in time mm. for the new, new year. So, yeah, the Sepang is a big one for all of the teams, but especially those looking for more engine performance. Um, we had a few questions in. Lloyd uh, is interested to hear what you think the challenges are if Yamaha are to add a satellite team for 2024. Will Dorna support them or could they leave? Obviously, this comes in the wake of Lynn Jarvis confirming that uh, after RNF has switched allegiances to Aprilia, they are on the lookout. And even the FIM president has said, uh, Valentina Rossi's VR46 team are rumoured. That has been denied. Uh, but certainly Yamaha clearly want uh, a satellite team here. Well, they should have bloody well done it when Valentino was signing a deal with Ducati, shouldn't they, really, instead of waiting until it all fell apart? I mean, it, you know, it, it's one of those situations where I always think that Yamaha seem to be too little too late with things. They just seem to be a little bit on the back foot all the time, which for a manufacturer of their standing... Seems odd to me. I never kind of work it out. I never can kind of get to the bottom of it. But, you know, finding a satellite team of the, of, that is going to assist their full factory team isn't easy. You know, it just isn't. I mean, OK, there's a lot of Suzuki guys floating out there in the moment, some good ones. Um, so at least there is some personnel that are, that are floating around at this moment in time. But will they want to take on a team that is clearly going to be second rate? You know, will they want to go into a, a, a Yamaha team 
I'll bet you all the top guys that were at Suzuki have got contracts coming their way for next year in other teams because you'd be stupid not to hire them. Uh, the knowledge that Suzuki have and, and the way that they've gone about their business has been exemplary. So all the top guys at Suzuki, I'd be massively surprised if they didn't all have good jobs by the time next year starts. I think there is, there's quite a lot of things going on behind the scenes here. I think that Luca Marmarini, if that's how you say his name, apologies if I've pronounced it wrong, but the ex-Ferrari uh, Toyota engine designer, he's come in, I was speaking to Lynn about this. I mean, that's quite a big change, but for to bring in an outside engineering consultancy like that, to work on the engine and give them the power. Then you've got Tom O'Kane, Keith was just mentioning, Suzuki. He's coming across from Suzuki. Lynn didn't want to talk too much about what he's going to do, but he, he made clear he's not replacing anyone. This is a new kind of group that Tom's going to head up, sort of performance engineering and that kind of thing. So, that, so that's another new thing that's happening. Cal was also saying that the test team, I think he said they had 27 members of staff at each test. And he's saying that it's it's much more in that the testing is much more in the hands or overseen by Lynn and, and Massimo Merigali, you know, than in the past. And he thought that's a good thing. So it does seem that there's stuff going, there's changes being made. Whether that was, um, let's say, triggered by the problems with this 22 engine. Remember a year ago, Fabio, he, he came close to being beaten by Banyaya. He had no engine power. We were all expecting this increase for 22 and nothing happened. And it turns out that there was some sort of issue with the engine that they were planning to use. And so they ended up basically running not the same engine, but the performance-wise, it wasn't much difference, was it, for all of last year? Now, that seems to have been the trigger to say, okay, enough. Now we do need to make big changes here. We can't keep on like this. They had the valve problems, hadn't they, two years before? So it seems like there's stuff going on. Uh, let's see, I think, where that where that takes us. But in terms of the satellite team, uh, of course, Rossi and Yamaha, it's a long-running story, isn't it? Will it ever happen? It's so close to happening, but at the time, SRT had Petronas, didn't they? And, and this is... Just so, so that there's this awkward situation. Rossi's riding for Petronas. His team are also negotiating with Yamaha. So you've got Petronas talking to Yamaha. Rossi's BR46 team talking to Yamaha. Eventually, I think they just decided this is just, it's too awkward because you imagine if Rossi's team pinched the Yamahas off Petronas, which is the team he's currently riding for in 21. So it was just agreed between them. Look, we'll continue with Petronas. Well-backed team. They, the most successful Yamaha satellite team at that time. So everything makes sense until Petronas withdraw about a month later, doesn't it? And then suddenly, Tsuki's saying, hang on, you, you probably should have gone with uh, the other team, shouldn't you? Um, so, but by then it's too late. You know, Rossi's team had then done the deal with Ducati uh, and that's where they are now. It's a three-year deal. So, uh, you know, they've got another year to run on that. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the obvious, well, the teams that are most likely would seem to be VR46, clearly, and then Grassini, because their contract expires at the end of uh, 23. So if, if Yamaha want a team for 24, and we assume that, that uh, VR46 will see out their Ducati contract, as they say they will, in that story you mentioned there, Harry, um, it could only be Grassini. I asked Grassini, but they just said, you know, we're, we're under discussions with, uh, yeah. you know, I, I mean, don't want to name any teams. I but, mentioned uh, earlier yeah. that we're all embedded in the paddock, but unfortunately we're not embedded enough to, to know what happened with the RNF thing and the Petronas thing. I mean, it was a sudden knee-jerk situation where Petronas pulled out. Razlan Rizali seems to have had a little bit of pushback in the paddock of recent times. Um, CEO of the um, Petronas and, and then RNF team, former CEO of Sepang International Circuit. So he's well embedded in things. I keep using the word embedded, but somehow something happened um, certainly his choice of personnel, there was a little bit of unhappiness regarding who he hired and who he fired. Um, 
and we ended up in a situation where only having MotoGP, the Moto3, Moto2 product products um, expired. So I don't know. I, I wonder whether Raslan is um, treading on toes somewhere there as well. I wonder whether that's having any effect over the, the overall situation. He, he might be getting more pain as well, I think, because uh, with you, the who are part of the title sponsorship of that, I heard they've gone bust. So I think he's going to have to try and find some more uh, sponsorship. Not and... with you. Well, quite right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so at Valencia, yeah, Crypto Data is the new, they're not only a sponsor, though, they are actually a shareholder of the team now. There was right. a presentation over the, the weekend. Yeah, so that's that's where, to answer your question, Harry, you're exactly right there. So with you, have gone filling this hole of Crypto Data, which... Really, we only saw, I think they backed the, the Austrian Grand Prix. They were title sponsor of that. They're not cryptocurrency. It was pointed out to us because that was the first thing that we all thought. Um, it, it's sort of cybersecurity and that kind of thing. But so they are not only sponsoring uh, the RNF team, but they're actually shareholders in the wow. team with Raslan now. Yeah, remaining companies. So, yeah, that's to answer your question, Harry, that's where the sort of the funding is going, coming from for the team next year. Well, that seems like positive news then. Um, talking of sponsors, it's time to do our sponsor plug uh, to interrupt this show ever so briefly. We're about halfway through now. Um, and we're sponsored this week by the wonderful people at NordVPN. Uh, if you like us, and whenever you leave your country and get frustrated that you can't watch certain things, uh, both Pete and Keith are out in Thailand right now. They might well be having this issue um, because they're not shown wherever you, you are. Uh, NordVPN is what you need. It allows you to switch your virtual location to a country that is showing what you want to watch and yes that includes MotoGP, World Superbikes, BSB and loads more so now wherever you are in the world you'll never miss out on watching live motorbike action again or just your favorite tv program uh, you can grab your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash crash MotoGP to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan plus four months for free it's completely risk-free with your personal information encrypted with the highest security protocols and if you're not happy with anything nordvpn have a 30-day money-back guarantee so what are you waiting for grab your exclusive nordvpn deal by going to nordvpn com forward slash crash MotoGP to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and four months for free. Uh, so that is something for you to do. And while you go and do that, um, 2023 is going to be a big year, uh, but it's time to maybe look a little bit back at 2022. It seems everybody is doing their uh, various awards. So I thought, well, maybe we should do our own podcast 2022 awards um and i've sent you these in advance chaps so hopefully you've had a little bit of a chance to think about your answers i certainly have um number one the first award we really dressed up for the occasion didn't we <laughs> so we should, we should have stuck a tie on maybe um best i know well, none of us went for Christmas jumpers either, did we? So uh, we really, really messed this up. This is the closest Christmas thing I've got. Um, the first award in the Crash 2022 MotoGP Podcast Awards. Uh, best rider. Keith. Can only be one. He won the championship, Peko Bangaya. At the end of the day, there's, for oh, me... that's boring, isn't it? It is very, very... <laughs> uh, it gets better as we move through this list. But it can only be. Okay. Honestly, <laughs> it gets much better as we move through the list. I'm sorry, but I looked at it and I thought that is so bloody boring and that is so not me. But Benyaya <laughs> taken in something like I don't know, huge amount of Grand Prix to get to where he's got to. Um, hmm. You know, so I have to say he's number one. At the end of the day, the guy who wins the MotoGP championship has got to be number one for me. Pete, 
the same? <sighs> Unfortunately, yes. But honestly, you could make a case for any of the top four, I think. I actually think this year it's harder than, than normally. Normally, you've got the guy who wins the championship and the guy who was second, haven't you? And maybe if the guy who finished second, his bike broke down five or six times, you could say, well, he deserved it. But I mean, in this case, honestly, I think the top four, you can make a case for it. It depends. You, you look at things like performance relative to their teammates, uh, you know, DNFs, as we say, and all that. And also, I think sort of shock value, as in who who outperformed what you expected them to do at the start of the year. And I think that's where the guys in th- third and fourth, Bastianini and LH, score pretty highly there. Oh, I mean, who would have thought you're ahead of the game. That's coming up in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> Pete's getting all of his answers now. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll get, so, yeah, Banyai. I mean, for me, it's the reasons that Keith says, I, would, I mean, it basically, it came down to a three-round showdown, didn't it? After Thailand, they were basically level on points. It was a three-race showdown. And unfortunately, Quattararo, he made those mistakes at Phillip Island. He lost 16 points there, and he lost the title by 17 to uh, to Banyaya. So, I mean, for me, that, that that's it. I mean, there's, there's very little between them, but I think at the end of the day, Banyaya was the fastest guy this year over the season. And, yeah. I I would agree, but I have gone for Anaya Bastianini as yeah, my best I rider. Yeah. I think for and Pete's already basically explained it. You know, performance <laughs> relative to Zarco, the you know earning the 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 promotion to the factory team, pipping Aleish right at the end in the final race to get third in the championship. I, I, I for me, obviously Banyaya was exceptional, but for me, love an underdog, and I'm not boring, Pete, so I'm going Pete and for, I hate and you for that, Yeah, because <laughs> you're right. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, you get. <laughs> excellent okay, right next, next uh, best manufacturer please Keith we'll come back to you first well it comes under the same thing doesn't it the most yeah. innovative the most incredibly unusual looking motorcycle the performance of the motorcycle it's so different from everything else out on the grid you've got to go with Ducati boring again boring again Pete boring as well Boring doubled. Yeah, but but with a prettier oh. close second. With a prettier close. Oh second no! Don't me. you don't you come in with your whatever you've got second. Well, yeah, because because well, and it took him a long time, didn't it, for Ducati? Let's face it, that GP twenty two. It, it looked like in in winter testing. Let's say the res November twenty one. The perfect bike that was that was even better according to Banyai. I mean, we thought it was gonna completely flatten the season, but it didn't win until round six, did it? So, but once it got on form, yeah, I, I think yeah. I, it's got to be Ducati. Well, you see, that's where I mark them down. And I actually think, well, the amount of bikes Ducati had, they should have absolutely uh, been on it sooner and won this. So my best team, uh, my best manufacturer is uh, is Aprilia. So I, I'm I'm going for them because, you know, they, they surprised. Uh, they were as consistent as could be and, and they weren't used to being up there. So I think given all the extenuating circumstances for me, they were the best manufacturer. Have a look round, Pete. I think he's got a camera. He's looking at your notes. <laughs> <laughs> It's not my fault he's going with the boring answers. Um, okay, come on. We get the boring ones out of the way first. Um, best team now. So we've done manufacturer. Best team. Uh, are we? I could just answer for you, shall we? You're both going Ducati, Lenovo, factory no, team? No. Oh, oh, I speak too soon. Yeah. Okay, Keith, go on then. Back to you. Suzuki. Suzuki. Rescuing, mm-hmm. rescuing what they did from, from a retired team to motivate themselves to finish in the way they did in the closing stages of the year. They go about their business in such a lovely way. That motorbike is a beautiful motorbike. It looks like a motorbike, unlike the Ducati, of course. You know, the team itself seems really gelled, close. You know, it seems like a proper team to me. So I I think Suzuki, definitely. 
for me. Red Bull KTM. Oh. Now, oh. Second, in, second in the team's championship. With yeah. a bike that was, what, fourth in the constructors. The riders were sixth and tenth. They were the only ones to score points in every race. I just, I just think that's the, the shock. When, when people look back on this season, you know, in 10 years' time, they look at the, the World Championship standings. Second, Red Bull KTM in the team's championship. Uh, yeah. But it just shows that, that, you know, they got the most from the bike, you know, from, from squeezed everything out of it. No, obviously, no big enough technical problems to rule out their riders from a lot of races, or certainly not both in the same race. So yeah, but they are for me. I think I think even Brad Binder said he was shocked when he realised that they got second at Valencia with his, uh, you know, that podium that he got was just enough to snatch it from Aprilia and poor old, you know, poor old Aprilia had the opposite, didn't they? They had a double nightmare with the the, uh, the technical problem at Valencia. But yeah, I think I think for me that you know, making what they can with their equipment, shall we say? I can see yeah. Harry looking at his notes there. He was looking at his notes as you were speaking, Pete, looking at what he was going to change it to. Well, no, no, because I was, I was, I, when I was looking up this morning, I double checked who finished where and I was, I was surprised. I was like, Red Bull KTM was second. I was a bit shocked. And then I'm just looking now, I was like, the guy who won twice for them, Oliveira, is the one they binned off as well. So you just think, <laughs> you know, and KTM management is something we've talked about this year and still perplexes me to this day. Um, I have gone uh, for the non-boring, I've gone for the boring one this time, actually. So I went for Ducati because so, I, I thought, yeah. I felt bad that I hadn't, I, I, they had to, they did have to <laughs> win something so for me they were the best team i think it's fairly self-explanatory but it's hard not to to uh, you say red bull ktm suzuki both both uh, fair shouts um now best team principal now i know this could be a little bit up in the air because there's team managers and things like that so you know anyone from management i think will say but uh, who have you got i think um paolo Gibatti, a man that's of his age that never has a hair out of place after being on a flight for 14 hours. He is so <laughs> Italian, it is actually scary. And he never, he always looks absolutely, you know, like the epitome of a suave Italian manager. So I'm going to go with, uh, with um, Paolo. Paolo, okay. Pete? Massimo Rivola. Oh, uh, okay. Brilliant. So, uh, you know, not you know, people coming across from F1 and likewise going the other way, most GPF1, not normally have a great time of things, do they? But he got there in 2019. And I mean, look at the look at the form of Aprilia in recent years and the, the upward trajectory. He's also put the satellite team together. He got new contracts with uh, Alation Maverick signed. Got Oliveira signed up on that on the RNF team as well, along with um, Raul Fernandez. Oliveira is already looking like a, a good good decision, isn't he? So, yeah, I think um, I think I'll go for, for Massimo there. Fair enough. Uh, I went with Razlan, Razali. Now hear me mm. out. Just because I just think that he had it all thrown thrown at him very late in the day. You know, as we as we mentioned just before, the Patronus uh, situation. Suddenly, the switch. We're dealing with Yamaha and then switching to Aprilia just now, and and then having to to get new sponsorship and things like. That. I think he dealt with that well. I think actually the riders were. I think uh, you know the likes of obviously Dovi was exceptional, but past his day getting Cal Crutchlow in and having Darren Binder uh and doing that uh making that brave call to bring him up from Moto3 I actually think was a good call in the end I think as we've discussed he was un he's unfairly going down to Moto2 but that's just the way the cookie crumbles I think considering all the things he had to overcome uh I that's my reason for putting Razlan as, as the best team principal I would say so um I think we should just give a mention Livio Supo yeah. um, yes Yes, one, but he's now been a, a winning team manager with three different factories. 
And we we always talk about the riders. We're still waiting for the first rider to do it, aren't we? But you know, no one since Rossi. You know, we thought if he'd have won with Ducati, he would have won with three bands. But no one's done it yet. Vinales and Jack Miller will be trying next year. They, they've got a chance. But Livia now, I think he's the only guy, as far as I know, a team manager that's that's uh, and with all the things going on, as Keith mentioned behind the scenes, to hold that team together when you've just been dropped in as team manager at the start of that year. So I think, uh, yeah, I think he deserves a mention as well. And he's got a voice you wouldn't argue with. <laughs> Does, do we know his plans yet? Is he doing anything for next year at the moment, or we don't know anything? No, he, he hasn't announced, nothing. as far as I know. No. No. Well, uh, I'm sure he will find somewhere uh, within motorsport. Okay, best haircut from the year. Pete. The most. Pete. Pete. <laughs> when I saw this question, Harry, I was like, <laughs> I should. What's the word? What's it? Abstain? What's it when you don't vote? Yeah, yeah. You, I think that's what. Or no comment. Yeah, no I'll comment. I'll tell you what this, this reminded me of. Not so, applicable. Valencia, yeah, Valencia. I went to the race, sharing an Airbnb house. I'm the last one arriving. So, you know, as normally happens when you're the last one, if anyone's forgotten anything, they message you. I get a message from Neil Morrison. Pete, can you pick this up from the airport for me? They should have it in boots. Sends a picture. What's this? I, I'm zooming in. Matt Clay. I'm like, what oh. is, it? is he doing? Is he doing pottery? No. <laughs> no I realise it's some sort of hair gel thing. I'm like, Neil... <laughs> Can you imagine the confusion on people's faces when I go to buy this? He assured me that this was a genuine request once he'd stopped laughing, that it was a genuine request. And so I did indeed buy it. Thankfully, it was one of those self-service computer things. Oh, thank God. Yeah, that's my only hair-related story for the season, I'm afraid. I shall hand over to you two who are far more qualified in the hair care department. Well, only just. I think you need to pull your toupee down a bit. Yeah. It's gone I've up. got more it's of a replacement than a bloody haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I decided this should be a question. Bezeki, no, well, oh I, yeah, I, fair enough. I know why you decided it because you can take the piss out of us two. There was that. There was yeah, yeah, true. There was that, but there was also I just figured I feel like there was a lot of good hair. I don't know. I I, I had to think about this. I went for Darren Binder. I thought he's got he's got a luscious set of locks on him. I thought so, but Bezeki is another good one. I'd well, say. I went for Bezeki because he reminds me of Simoncelli. That's why. Yeah, the hair is. Well, is I should I should go for Morbidelli and I think Brad Binder out of solidarity, shouldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so those would be my guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that's the best haircuts that we think. Okay. Best overtake can only be one. I, th- I think we're, yeah, we've all <laughs> got to be on the same page on that yeah. one. Absolutely. How could you not? Yeah. Apparently, in the MotoGP like end of season awards, that one didn't win. Didn't it? What? what no, I can't remember. But apparently, that didn't wow. win. And I went, what? How, what? In what world? <laughs> or it what, might not what? be an overtake. It might be like action of the year or something like that. And so maybe maybe got pitted because it wasn't. Wow. I don't know, but yeah, I was like, I mean, was surely. Perfect, wasn't it? I mean, two right, and those two guys who were hard breakers anyway. Yeah. And, and he didn't run wide, he didn't clatter into anyone. The only one I could even think of to, you know, to even compare, to put in to think about, let's say, was, was Bastianini's overtake on Bagnaia for the win at Aragon. And that was just because of if it had gone wrong, you know, yeah, what was that, at stake ooh, there yeah. if he'd have wiped them both out? But but technically, it was nowhere near uh, Alasia's uh, pass there. No, no. Um, biggest disappointment of the year, Keith. This is easy. Morbidelli. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, who are you going for, Pete? Well, I've got the 2022 20, Honda for a start. <laughs> um, yeah, fair. But then if you want to go for a rider, I actually think Joan Mir. I think for him not to get a podium this year, I, I thought he, yeah. was, he, he was going to be up there fighting for the championship. So 
uh, and I would go for I went actually for Jorge Martin I, I was really uh, uh, disappointed I thought he could have done better I thought you know losing out on that on that factory seat you know it was his own fault um, but interesting three different answers there I like that um, overachiever of the year you've already mentioned him Anaya Bastianini Anaya yeah I mean on a on an yeah. older bike for Grassini I mean just superb Snatches third place in the championship, pushes mm. the lace back and forth. You know, Pete was right at the top four. You know, uh, it was a superb year from that point of view. But mm. Anaya Bastianini, and I love the way he goes about his job, and I love the way Grassini go about their job. And when you consider, you know, what's happened in the team over the last couple of years, um, it's fantastic. It's a really nice story, isn't it, uh, Pete? Uh, Cotteraro, I went for just because oh, of the okay. gap between him and the other Yamahas. I mean, just the, you yeah. know, the, yeah. is it two four eight to about forty, I think, for Morbidelli in nineteenth. Uh, and I went for Mark Marquez, um, <laughs> best Honda, even after missing yeah. nearly bloody half the season, Ooh. working working with one arm. <laughs> I think I think <laughs> that that all calls for overachieving, uh, even if it is Mark Marquez. Um, what was your heartbreaking moment of the year? Keith? Um, injuries aside, I've avoided injuries and situations that are going to tug on the heartstrings generally. I want to avoid that for now. Yeah. Being negative. But Suzuki leaving suddenly is a heartbreak when they've got a motorcycle and a team clearly capable of winning races, and they did after the announcement that they were leaving. I just think that is, you know, not just my heart. I mean, the whole bloody team's heart must have been broken. Terrible. Yeah, yeah, I think that all broke our hearts. Yeah, that, that's the one I've got as well. Oh. And uh, just, just to, the, so, sort of just, just to sum up the heartbreak story, though, maybe to add to it, Valencia on the Sunday. So, so Fedi and Alberto were the, the press guys at Suzuki. So our first line of contact, if you like, with the Suzuki team. They'd been around after warm up to say goodbye to everyone, and then uh, Nikki Kovacs and a few others. Uh, they, they'd done a really nice thing. They'd organised for some bottles of Carvo, and we all sort of signed them. And, and, and then they got the Suzuki guys called up at the end of the day, and they didn't know anything about this. You know? And they were presented with them in the media room, and we all gave them a round of applause. Of it. And the poor guys were just in pieces. I mean, they were just so in a bit emotional day as it was, you know, saying goodbye to everyone, winning their last race, and then this, which I've never seen anything like that really by the media. Uh, you know, in all my time, and and yeah, and they deserved it. You know, they've done a great job, and and uh, yeah, it really did show though just what a loss it will be, and 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 you know, what a shame. It's a loss in social media as well. There's no team that embraced social media as well as Suzuki. Some of their no. tweets, some of their social media interactions were just superb. They really, their whole team, including you know their their digital team that were working on stuff for everybody. I mean, I just, I just, I can't believe that that team has, has been you know Hamamatsu. What the bloody hell are you doing? Exactly, it, Keith. I just think, sorry, sorry, you're going to say you're saying, but you know, if you're if you're a racing team and you've got, well, a, a company and you've got something that's world class, you don't bin it, whatever it is. You know, you just don't, we always hear, don't we, that racing guys like us, uh, you guys don't understand the business side. You know, you guys just want to go racing and that's all it's about for you, but you don't get the business. I think this is an example of the business people not understanding the racing side and not understanding the value of what they had beyond just you know the numbers they were they were writing on the check and i think yeah it's such a massive shame and as you say there's there's people in that team that that don't have jobs i think i think a lot of the crew have i think almost all the major gp teams are going to have one or two guys from suzuki and then some will be in motor two and things but there are definitely some people who, who are who still want you know they were part of the winning team at the final race in valencia and they're out of a job madness 
That is, yeah, that is a good heartbreaking moment. Um, mine was Aleish finishing lap early at his home uh, in Spain. That was good mine. One. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good that one. was yeah. that's mine. Uh, and then and then that that cost him certainly third in the in the championship for sure, and may well could have got him up to second if, if things had turned out differently. Um, the best race of the season. This is hard. I think the best uh, race of not- the season. It's kind of not that hard, really. I mean, it's interesting. The International Race Teams Association, ERTA, voted because all the teams vote for their best Grand Prix of the year. You know which one it was? No. What, one of the ones I hate the most, Le Mans. Was it? Le Mans was voted by ERTA as the best Grand Prix of the year. But I'm not going there, obviously. I'm going to Assen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Assen is mine. Assen. Yeah. Uh, um, Pete? Phillip Island, I went for. Yeah, I can understand that too. Yeah. And I I actually went for Valencia because I thought, you know, Suzuki winning, the ding-dong battle between Pecco and Fabio actually, you know, touching bikes, contact. It it probably was the best Valencia for some time. Because Valencia normally is awful. So it was... I know, boy, yeah. I was expecting it to be rubbish and it was actually very, very good race meeting. I think that's what leaps it up because you have such low expectations. Um, Okay. The best livery of the year in your humble opinions well for me i think that too many bikes look like some 60 year old bloke on a cycle in lycra with his codpiece <laughs> sticking out all color and zigzag i mean i've got a particular dislike of old blokes on push bikes getting in the way and shouting at me every time i drive past them um so i've gone with grassini a proper grown-up color proper grown-up looking motorcycle I went for them as well. I went for Suzuki. But I oh, did okay. also, I considered Grassini. And the, the funny thing about the Grassini one was, it was kind of like Marmite. People either loved it or hated it when it was unveiled. But then it's like always, if it's quick, people, people love start it. liking it more, don't they? So when it won at the first race, it suddenly looked better. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it won, it started looking better. Yeah. And I think, yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, it ticks all the boxes because, yeah, it was a unique design and it was quick. Yeah. So yeah, I can. Okay. And, and really, it's a strange one, isn't it? It's the teams that are, let's say, the least commercially successful and have the least number of sponsors to fit in. They've got the the blankest canvas, haven't they, for this kind of thing? So you end up with Suzuki. Xstar is just their in-house oil brand. Um, you know, and okay, they had a bit of Monster to fit in, and and Grassini unfortunately didn't have a title sponsor either. So they had more freedom, both of them, to to do their own thing. Mm. So. Uh... No, I think it was uh, that Grassini one, especially. Both of them were, were beautiful. Uh, okay, last two awards that we're handing out. The worst track of the year. Keith's had some great insiders guides this year. Some have been absolutely <laughs> terrible. <laughs> if we stick with the track, not the re- the performance this year, I'm still going to start yeah. with Valencia. If we stick with the, the performance okay. this year was good. Um, but I think Valencia for the final round for me is a is a, is a slightly difficult one to sell, although it was absolutely packed out it was a great meeting this year so i feel slightly cruel that um that i picked valencia as, as that but i just think it's just a concrete canyon although they've tidied it up a fair bit now got a nice little orange grove in the middle and we've got a couple of little lakes and stuff like that so it's it's softened and we've got you know ricardo tormo because you know, it's called the circuit ricardo tormo um it's got a lot of history but i i just i can't can't love valencia Sorry. Yeah, I went for Valencia as well. Ah. Um, the same reason, the layout. I mean, okay, that 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 penultimate corner, the one that's sort of over the rise into the last corner, that one's 
that one's you know pretty useful especially you get to stand on the inside it's quite exciting there but the rest of the track and you just think you know if it wasn't the title decider if it was sort of in the middle of the season you know that that's where it was a great event because it was the title decider this year and there's loads of fans there and it was a fantastic atmosphere and they put on a great event no doubt about it but if we're talking about circuit or track as in the actual layout i i, I think it yeah it would have to be the worst yeah, I think uh, I'd say the same on that. Although, what was the track? Was it Indonesia this year that was like literally breaking up as they yeah. were as they were going round? Yeah, in yeah, terms that, of somehow, what happens in <laughs> Asia generally is that they, they they tend to don't work to the same rule as everyone else that lays tarmac. You know, like you need a period of curing. You know, it needs to be down a little while to cure, but they lay it the week before and expect it to perform <laughs> almost immediately. Um, yeah, and of course, yeah. it don't. Well, I think we're uh, we're pretty uh, pretty unanimous on that one, uh, despite uh, tracks literally breaking up. And the best track, final one, final award for the best track of the year. Well, I have a struggle with this one as well, because it wasn't the best race meeting of the year. Um, they overpriced all the tickets, and so we didn't have a crowd there. Obviously, it's the first year that Valentino Rossi hasn't been there. But Mugello as a track is still my favourite track. Phillip Island and Mugello are neck and neck, you know, I suppose I really should have gone for Phillip Island. I'm sure Pete will have done. But Mugello has, has been... I've had a love affair with Tuscany all my life. And I love where it is. I love the atmosphere that's there. And I love the track. It's a great track. So Mugello for me. And yes, I went for Phillip Island. Keith is... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, for me, the, the, what, what swayed it that way was that obviously we haven't been there since 2019. You know, so there'd been a, a big... A big break where we hadn't been to Phillip Island and, and most of these fly away so it was just great to be back there and uh, you know thankfully good weather for the race exciting race yeah I mean that, that one for me. the only downside yeah. of um, Phillip Island is it's in the state of Victoria if you ever have a nanny state that wants to make sure you do everything by the book don't step over that line don't go one kilometer an hour over the speed limit don't drink in public don't make a noise in a bar it's horrendous no wonder all the Aussies come to Earl's Court <laughs> <laughs> Not not on Keith's list. I was going to go Phillip Island as well, just because that was the first time I think I'd properly witnessed what the racing was like at Phillip Island, like sort of firsthand watching and, and working on it. So that was a cool race. Uh, and it just looked, the surroundings were so beautiful as well, I think. So uh, I'd and go freezing bloody cold. Island as well. Is it at that time of year? Yeah. Unbelievable. I mean, like you, you, really? you can change from being 15 degrees to, you know, zero in a heart. And the tyres go from, the tyres go from grip to no grip to know, nothing as soon as it blows blows back off of tasmania you know that's your next stop tasmania in the south you are proper south oh, okay. down there okay well we have to take a trip out there um that's the podcast can't. 2022 awards done we have did we have decided uh let us know if you agree, your awards as well. We'd like to hear in the comments. Uh, now, we are running out of time. So we're going to finish with, uh, we've got some listener questions, but also um, I thought this could be fun. For, ne for next year, if you had free choice from this year's MotoGP, Moto2 and Moto3 grids, uh, what engine would you pick? Who would be your number one rider? Who would be your number two rider? And who would be your team principal? Uh, let's go to Pete first on this one, I think. Uh, yeah, I suppose most of it is the, the, the engine will be Ducati for the reasons that I said before. So I suppose to be consistent, uh, rider one, I'll go Mark Marquez. Yeah. Uh, rider two, Fabio. Oh. Well, that's a cop uh, out, isn't it? 
<laughs> and team principal again be consistent I'd have to go for Rivola having said that he was the best so yes right well that was predictable where was your reserve rider who was your reserve rider our reserve yeah, rider well, yeah yeah so reserve meant what a, a, a stat or test rider test yeah rider. well like yeah the, the test rider you know who or someone who would step in slash who you'd give a few oh, right, wild okay. card well, rides Cal, then. Cal, oh. Cal okay Oh, I forgot to put a test. You've been reading in. my notes, Pete. <laughs> Ducati, right, go yeah. Ducati, Marquez, Quadraro, Cal as a test rider, and Ken Carracci <laughs> as the technical uh, team man. Because I think you need a good technical team man, and I like the way Ken goes about his job. He's from Suzuki, obviously, um, and he's a, he's always centre stage with this stuff. So I think Ken would be a a good shout as a top team man. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, I went for Ducati as my engine, uh, and, and I thought outside the box here. I, yeah, I could have just gone Marquez Fabio. That would have been nice and easy, wouldn't it? I went for rider one, Alessio Spargro, experienced hand. Rider two, Pedro Costa, young rookie, eager to please. My team principal is Livio Supo, and my reserve rider, having just thought of it now, is Cal Crutchlow. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll see you and back that's in who I'm going for. We'll see you back in the past. Yeah. You won't be in part Fermi. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, now, uh, quick questions. Let's end with some questions because we had some come in last minute. Um, what's your favourite ever race? Stephen Proctor has asked that question. Moto3, Phillip Island, three years ago. Oh, that, that is niche. I think it was 2019. Oh, Moto3, yeah. it was insane. Who I won it? Blew, I nearly blew my larynx out. <laughs> <laughs> Who won? Who won it? Do you know what? I can't remember. But it could have been anyone. <laughs> it could have been anyone. so good. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I did, Pete, favourite ever race? I'm not like you, no. Harry. I'm not looking it up. <laughs> I'm always looking it up. 2019 Moto3. It's so niche. Um, okay, right. Find, find out who uh, won that. Pete, who's your, who's your uh, best ever race? Uh, 2006 Estoril. Oh, okay. An ultimate round. The the, the drama there with with uh, Nikki Hayden being taken down by uh, Danny. Uh, you, you know, and then uh, Tony Elias winning the race from Rossi. Those points that then denied Rossi, as it turned out at the event, at the last round. So much went on in that race, and it went right down to the wire. Kenny Roberts third for the for the KR team. I think he might even have have done a bit of an elation, got the lap wrong, and uh, maybe he might have oh, won if it had been one lap less. But yeah, that that one stands out. There was a, another couple was. Uh, the, the Phillip Island won uh, 2015, which had a load of overtakes in. And there was an Assen round that also had the record number. And I can't remember what it is because, you, you, yeah, I haven't had a chance to look this up. I mean, but, that was the one, yeah, those would be the other. That was the one where Rocky but, oh, rammed the rear end of another bike, wasn't it? I, I seem to remember that one. Ah, I could In the run down to the final couple of corners when, uh, again, I had no... Oh, 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 with Dibbon out. Yes. Ah, okay. That, that's another one. <laughs> yeah. I was actually not... Yeah. So, but yeah, 06 Estoril, the penultimate round of the 20, 2006 season. Yeah. Nice. Uh, in that same vein, Indiana has asked, what's your pick for greatest rider of all time? <laughs> really easy questions to kick to end this show on. Yeah, that is that is a very, very difficult one. Again, it, it comes down to how do you define greatest, isn't it? It's a bit like best rider. Are you talking results? Are you talking the whole package, what they brought to the sport? Well, I it's, think it's, they case, want your opinion. Talent, in that talent, case, raw Pete, talent. you can only go one person in that case. If we're talking about a global icon, if we're talking about someone mm. that introduced more people to the sport than anybody else, you know, nine world championships, 
um, across so many years, um, 43 years old when he packed it up. I mean, he can only really go with it. I mean, Marquez, Marquez is a, he's next. If Marquez manages to come back next year, he will be the man that's going to be the GOAT. If he carries on, if his injury doesn't restrict him come 2023, then I think he may overtake. But does he overtake on a personality basis? No, he doesn't. That's where you've got Rossi again. And if you go back to Mike Halewood, the old school days of things like that, do you include John McGuinness in this? A really good lad, bloody funny, and does what he does on the Isle of Man that no one else can do. You know, you can broaden this out to, to some absolutely outstandingly brilliant riders. Um, but I think Rossi, as a worldwide icon, um, as well as results, for me, it's got to be him. Yeah, all, for all round, I would say Rossi. If you're just talking about the most talented people that I've seen, Casey Stoner. Marquez, Casey yeah. Stoner. My, my, it would be Casey Stoner for me. I've never seen anybody ride a motorbike as good as Casey Stoner. You know, you can talk about Lorenzo, you can talk about Marquez, but Casey Stoner was just superlative. I mean, I could I'm, the airs are going up on my arm just talking about him. You know, I just amazing I rate Casey so highly. And I respect the way he walked away the way he did. So Stoner, from an actually, just from a riding perspective, is my top man. All right. Well, Indiana, thank you for a very good question. Okay, quick fire answers, please. Uh, Alex Marquez on a Ducati, fame or fizzle? Alex Marquez on a Ducati. I think fame. I'm going to go with fame. Yeah, fame. Uh, again, what's fame? We're yeah. going fame. Okay. I, uh, yeah, I think it's going to go well on it. Okay. Uh, KTM, Binder to the top with wingman Miller? No, Miller to the top. I think Binder will raise his game. I'm hoping he does, because I rate Jack. (laughs) (laughs) Close one, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I think Miller might just edge it on experience, having experience of lots of different bikes. But I think Brad's going to be tough to beat. Okay. Uh, Dennis has asked, will Honda pull something out of the bag and let Mark compete next year? Well, it's not about letting him compete. It's whether they've got anything for him to compete with. Well, yeah, I think, yeah. I, I mean, I would say that it can't get much worse. So on that basis, it's got to be better than it was this year. And Mark was already, well, he nearly won in Phillip Island, didn't he? I mean, mm. point two from victory at Phillip Island. So, yeah, I mean, I expect Mark to be winning races next year if he's healthy. Honda okay, last, last two. Last two we've got. Will the fall of Suzuki bring the rise of BMW from World Superbikes? No. 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 Okay. And finally, do you think Aprilia will be more of a contender next year? Yes, I do. Personally, I think they will be. I think that they learned so much this year. They lost momentum at the end of the year. Some of that was Alasia's fault. Some of that was team cock-ups. They made too many technical um, mistakes, I think, in the in the last few Grand Prix. Um, and that cost them dearly. It cost them a, a, at least a third place in the championship. So I think that once they've got these new guys on board, uh, they'll iron out that management side of things that, that basically keep the, the thing consistent. So I think they were just a bit, I won't say unlucky, because you make your own luck. There's no luck involved in any of this. Um, but they did make a couple of cock-ups that they could have done without. Yeah, definitely. They're going to have more data, aren't they, with the satellite team? The only question mark is this concessions, how they'll deal with that. But I, th- I think we should point out, Alej was the only, well, not only guy, but one of the only guys that didn't fall in a race this year. Which is amazing. Um, he made obviously a cock. 
he made a cock up, didn't he, in Barcelona? <laughs> yeah. But he didn't actually fall. Um, I think Marini is maybe the only other guy. He had a, a technical issue, I think, at Sepang because he'd finished every race in his career. But that's one thing we should say about Aleish. You know, he didn't make in a year where we saw a lot of mistakes by the guys at the top of the championship. Aleish didn't fall in a race. No, but he did finish one lap too early in, in one of them. Uh, <laughs> that's harsh. I like Aleish. Um, we're done. That's it. 2022 MotoGP podcast done. Season two, tick of the box. Uh, thank you guys, uh, as ever, for giving up your time. Uh, and thank you for listening and watching uh, all season long. It's been an absolute joy to have you uh, with us. Let us know everything in the comments. As I said, right at the top of the show, live shows, would you want to come? Let us know. Um, and in the meantime, uh, Crash.net will be staying updated all throughout the winter and off season. So for all the latest news and analysis, uh, keep a look on the website. Uh, keep your questions, thoughts and opinions coming in in all the usual ways. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast uh, and uh, we will leave it there. But I believe our wonderful editor, Adrian, the man you never see, uh, has collated some of our best bits uh, from the year. And by that, I mean absolute worst bits all the bits that we've expressly asked him to edit out uh so all of our mistakes uh and bits just that we don't include so uh, merry christmas and thank you adrian uh, happy holidays to you uh, enjoy some well-deserved time off but if you're working through more power to you uh, but from uh, myself harry benjamin from pete mclaren and from keith ewan we shall see you back in 2023 bye-bye happy christmas even though he's mark marquez yeah, you know, I, I, I can see it. It's going to be quite different. I think he's going to have quite a struggle with it. I'm going to have to cut that just there because I've just got to answer this door. I thought, me, I thought I heard a knock at the door. <laughs> is, it, is it Pecco? Is it Pecco? <laughs> he's really he's not like, happy. Hang on a minute, Keith. Yeah. Or actually, if it, oh, we should get Pecco on. He clearly knows who we are now. <laughs> All right, well, funny. Well, we Sorry about that. No worries. Sorry about that. Well, anything good? I had to let someone in. Wasn't it? Wasn't Pecco? <laughs> no, no. Pecco, Pecco's um, camping out in my back garden. Yeah. <laughs> he's, um, he's, he's camped out out the back there, and he's um, he, he likes me so much now. I'm, I'm he's Airbnb staying at my house during Silver. <laughs> yeah, and it's confirmed you are tall. You walk past our commentary position. I was on the second floor, and you could still look in. So yeah. Harry is a tall fella. Um, yeah, the best. Kenny. Roberts, not Rogers, Roberts, um, you bring him up. Highlight, I think it's that 2008 helmet where he had the face stuck on the top. Yeah, the scream. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> That's a scre- Someone screenshot that immediately. <laughs> Temperatures soaring, particularly here in the UK over the next couple of days. If you hear any buzzing in the background, that's my fan. I can't... I- if it wasn't... Uh- uh, if it wasn't improving, he would have left after one or two years. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, we'll keep you updated with all the progress on that. Keith has had enough, clearly. He doesn't want to be here anymore. <laughs> For those who are listening, uh, Keith's just not, he's just walked off. I think Pecco, Pecco needs a cup of tea. I think it's tea time for Pecco. Uh, and Keith's off to making a cup of tea. Maybe by the power of editing, he might suddenly appear. Then we'll be back with you next week. He's back just in time for the end. Any closing words, Keith? <laughs> Um, I'm looking forward to Silverstone coming up. It's scorching hot here. That was my uh, air conditioner just being delivered. (laughs) (laughs) I do apologise.
I do apologise, folks, but um, I, I'm getting raged at by my office at the moment because it's about 40 degrees in here. And uh, and so <laughs> we now have a new air conditioner. <laughs> that is more um, than acceptable. Yeah. As it's the Monday after the British Grand Prix, where finally all of us three met in person for the first time. It was a brilliant weekend of two-wheeled action. Uh, questions, though, will be asked Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.